Hello, everyone, and welcome to our latest episode of Opening Up Chaplaincy with myself, Joe Mutlow from Bradford, a humanist, and Stig is going to introduce himself in a minute. Um, my colleague, uh, oh, over a year now, Stig, we've been doing this, and we're yep. really, really enjoying the feedback we get, but also the people who are asking to join us. And we're really pleased today that we've got a group joining us. The first time we've done a group guesting, so we'll have to see how that goes. So I'm going to pass over to Stig to introduce our topic. Well, thank you, Joe. So yes, I'm Stig and I'm a, 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 an Anglican priest and hospice and palliative care chaplain. And uh, as Joe says, uh, we've been doing this podcast a year and I think a really powerful recurrent theme that we have is uh, diversity. We really encourage diversity in chaplaincy teams. We think that brings all kinds of strength. But actually creating diversity isn't always easy. I, I know within our hospice chaplaincy team, um, we've had quite a number of members over the years. We, we had diversity in terms of sexuality, gender, age, uh, general health, um, but as, and as staff and as volunteers, we self-described as Muslim, Christian, agnostics, atheists, and free spirits. But we had very, well, relatively few people reflecting different ethnicities, cultures, religions, or formal belief systems. And we, we tried really hard, <laughs> but somehow we never seemed to, to find them. So I'm going to uh, invite Ricarda just to briefly introduce her team, but um, Ricarda is the lead chaplain at Warwick Hospital. I've known her for many years, and I know in different contexts she has also tried to um, cre create a diverse team um, and also encountered difficulties. So that's the theme for this morning. So, Ricarda, over to you. Perhaps just a few words about yourself, and then if you'd like to introduce the team of people you've brought with you today. Thank you, Stig. Thanks for the invitation. Um, yes, I've been the lead chaplain here in Warwick. We're actually not just one hospital, but we are our foundation trust covers Warwick, Stratford, Leamington and some community as well. Um, I've been in this place for a couple of years or two and a half years even. And before that, I was at um, the George Elliott Hospital in the north of this county. I also like Stig. I'm an Anglican priest. Um, and when he, when Stig asked me if I would come on this podcast um, and told me what it was about, my gut reaction was this cannot be just a conversation with me. Um, mm. Because if I've learned anything, um, it's been that we have to do diversity together. Mm. Um, and that as soon as we try and do it on our own, it doesn't, it doesn't work. So um, I don't want this just to be a conversation with me. Um, and I'm delighted to have um, some others um, from the team. So um, I'll start with Sue because um, she's just in the office immediately behind the wall that I'm facing. Um, so Sue, do you want to just say who you are and um, a line about yourself? So I'm Sue uh, Miles. I've been working as a chaplain here for just over six years um, and I am also a Church of England priest. Thank you. And Jag, would you like to just say who you are and why you're here? Yeah, sure, of course. Um, I'm Jagdish. Um, I'm not traditionally a member of the chaplaincy team, but um, I'm a clinical support worker and I work on 
a respiratory ward, but I'm part of a, the faith group at the hospital. And we do many like, sort of group activities. Just the other day, we did a, a visit to a Gurdwara and we're hoping to plan a visit to a church, a Buddhist temple, and etc. Born to a Sikh family, um, in Sikhism, you don't always get baptized as a child. Um, I, I got baptized about 15 years ago, and it was after I had um, an aneurysm. And that's when I really kind of, I had a true connection with God. And it's like, it, but it wasn't, it, it's, in Sikhism, it's, it's more about like sort of connecting with God as a faith, but not that one specific religion. It's like sort of, well, we welcome and believe in that sort of, as long as you believe in God, it doesn't matter whether you are a Christian, a Buddhist, a Hindu, etc., whatever. Um, it's just as long as you believe in the one. Okay, thank you, Jack. And Dip. Namaste. Namaste. Uh, I'm, uh, people call me Dip. My name is Dr. Dipankar Bose. I am a consultant anesthetist, and I used to be an intensivist. I've been in Warwick Hospital since 2001, so that's 22 years. Before that, I was in George Eliot for three years. And being an intensivist, I have come very close to life and death and see the transition. I was, I, I am a born Hindu. In Hinduism, you don't need to be baptized, you're just born in, born. And, and so that's, that's the beauty of it. And I subscribed to a group from a very early age where the main teaching was as many paths, as many views, as many truths. So all parts lead to the same, same true outcome. And in our temple, we celebrate every single religious event and, and, and preachers. So uh, Christianity, Buddhism, uh, Sikhism, and of course, various parts. I mean, and so or, or Islam, everything is celebrated and treated equally. And that is, that is how, what I'm proud of. I have been a part of the chaplaincy you know, group, uh, multi-faith group, and chapel is my favorite place in the in the hospital. Uh, that's where I come over and and uh, enjoy interacting and uh, offering whatever little experiences I have within myself. Thank you. So you've mentioned there this this faith group or multi-faith group. How does that work? Is that organized by chaplaincy, or how does that work within the trust? So I'll hand over to Sue in just a moment because Sue leads on it. Um, so um, our team here in this hospital, um, if you look at a photo of us, we're all um, we're all white Christians, actually all of a certain age as well. Um, and um, recognising that that's not what chaplaincy is, and yet it is what we um, it is what we are. So that's a contradiction, I know. Um, we, as a team, really wanted to um, to work out how we could how we could really become diverse and how we could actually um, kind of build our team so that it wasn't just people like us. Um, and so we began to do that by creating um, what we initially called a faiths group. Um, it's turned into the faith group, I think, um, but it's um, 
and the basis of starting it in the beginning was actually so that we could almost um, make sure that within chaplaincy we knew what to do and who to call um, when we were called to a family who were not like us. Um, so it was about um, asking people to um, look at what resources we've got. Have we got the right telephone numbers? Have we got the right contacts? Are we are we able to um, to provide um, or signpost to um, any particular need that any particular family may have? So that was how it started. It's actually it's evolved into something rather beautiful. Um, that to me actually is the heart of what chaplaincy is. Um, so Sue leads on it. I'm going to hand over to Sue just to say a little bit about what we do and how it how it works. Thank you, Ricarda. Um, you will explain it far better than I, but I think um, from your sort of vision, we sort of threw this around um, a little while ago and it really um, made me realise how ignorant I was and made me realize about my unconscious bias and it really challenged me and I think um, we wanted, Ricardo and I wanted this group to be a sort of model about living well with difference within our trust um, and I think we have started that with the faith group so we meet every month online as many people as possible, not everybody can get there of course but we meet online and we discuss um, festivals that are coming up and what we might be able to support each other with. I think as the years go on, I'm hoping that will have a much bigger impact within the hospital. So we might be able to do things that the trust really uh, notice that are going on and see it coming from ourselves. And we have a WhatsApp group, which is a joy because we're able to discuss. Um, DIP is our um, fountain of knowledge about festivals that are coming up of every faith. And so that's wonderful because it educates us. Part of this faith group is about us all educating each other and just discussing that online. Um, and as Jack says, we have been and we are continuing to visit each other's places outside of the hospital of worship or special significance. And we're hoping that we can sort of develop that as well. So it's a it's a sort of place where we consider safe. It's a place where we can explore and learn and as I say, live well with our difference and how that will grow, who knows? I am a person that doesn't plan things like this. I just let things happen. And I recognize uh, just talking today with Ricarda about the challenges we may face with being in a trust and the politicalness and the um, necessary things that we need to do to work within the trust but at the moment we are just enjoying the benefits of just interacting together Co correct me if i'm wrong everybody <laughs> yes dip i just wanted to add something to what amazingly what sue said is that i think um, it is not about living with differences only I think uh, for me, it is to live with the commonalities. Mm, yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There is no differences. And I do not find any differences. I think in the spiritual world, everybody has the same common values. 
and uh, and I just I just live in that blissful experience that it is so much the same. It is just we have made the differences by putting walls around us, whereas there is absolutely no difference. And that is why I am so much involved with the with the with the cha chaplaincy, and I I try hard to you know, to express that in in every way. I think what you're you're hitting something nail on the head there, Dip, where you're saying about communalities though and I think uh, finding that people with an open heart about their own beliefs and a curiosity about others beliefs is the key in this and for me the dialogue that I have with my colleagues who are different from me and I'm a humanist so I don't believe in a god but I do believe I do have a spiritual sense whatever we call that a, a sense of a greater and a sense of a um uh, ethics and morals that, that drive my world but my excitement comes in the interaction I have with my colleagues about actual case studies about actual encounters so we had a discussion in in our um, team we have a diverse team we had a discussion about what do you say to someone when they say they've lost connection with God they've lost their faith and to hear the different people saying their perspective on that adds a richness to all of our practice. So there's almost the macro level about festivals and how we honor and respect those and, 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 and how those help us have an understanding of other people's worlds and worldviews. But at the actual practice level, that discussion, that dialogue, that discourse, if you like, is hugely important. And I was saying to Jag before, just before we started, I miss my Sikh colleague, he retired, because he had this macro view of the world of humanity, which I found very inclusive and very inspiring. And his loss from the team was a personal loss to me because I didn't have that level of discussion on a daily basis. So I'm wondering, I'm coming roundabout way here, I'm wondering how that group your faith group impacts on chaplaincy practice one of the lovely things that happens in the whatsapp faiths group which is just the people who are in the faiths groups there's a small number of people but just in a, as an example which picks up on something that you were just describing as well i think that the festivals the festivals mean something when they connect with our own personal life experience and or for me anyway so on good friday this year it was it was dip who sent a message into the group saying hey it's good friday this is a holy mm. day and um, and what that resulted in was a conversation between me and dip and um jagdish and medi our buddhist colleague and um and some others of us on the group about about death about suffering about how we how we respond to suffering what what we're taught what we believe um and it just made it all come alive and it it but it wasn't about saying this is good friday so we need to take all the flowers out and we need to do these these x number of things it was about how does it touch our our common experience and um and i just love that kind of that kind of conversation and i sense that what we're doing in this little group of people is what we should be doing in our well in our lives and certainly within within the trust i can't remember now what was the question you just asked jay because i went off on i was i was wondering how you bring 
this richness of conversation into chaplaincy practice not okay. just growing as individuals but yeah. as in the service that we deliver to patients and staff yeah so I think actually that example meant that then we can go to our patients and we've got we've got more resources about how we how we respond to them trying to articulate how they're feeling about their own pain and distress that um that just enables us I guess to kind of hold hold a wider a wider sense of um this common human experience of pain suffering and distress that we meet in hospital all the time that our faith traditions are are actually speaking into but sometimes in a way that we don't actually connect with personally and so the local conversation enables the one-to-one -one conversations um, and also enables us to look at ways that we celebrate these festivals within the hospital that is a is a different way is a way about what we always want to do in chaplaincy which is to bring it down to so what does this mean for you thinking about our volunteers joe you're asking about how that affects the team and obviously most chaplaincy teams staff teams have volunteers in their setting and i think our volunteers are going through quite a um again a, a challenge and a, and a and a growth and some um how that's going to affect us in the future is is our sort of um, drive that we as the staff team will want to have more diversity within mm -hmm. our volunteers um, which will which for some people will be very challenging um, but we're you know we're hoping that our training we won't just be advertising as we may have done in the past within our Christian circles but we'll be looking wider and wider um, so it's part of part of a bigger picture as well from that point of view adding on to the whole 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 theme uh, it's important that we ourselves get enriched first because if you can't give what you don't have so my aim for my own personal development is i know about some some bits of my religion and my faith and 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 the things which i follow but how much do i know about other people's faiths so I feel that's why I try to write something about other people's uh, other religions, which I'm not subscribing to. Hence my attempt to write on Good Friday and on Guru Nanak's birthday and, and on Buddha. So, so I am learning it myself. That is, the, that is the first thing. Second is people whom we are offering the services to, they themselves do not know that they need it. And hence we need to enrich them also for their Oh yes, that is a service. That's something which we could benefit on. And uh, Ricarda and Sue, Sue were uh, very kindly volunteered to be in a part of our grand round <clears throat> program, which I run in the hospital. And I, I, I found a slot. I mean, I, I gave them a slot, and it was very well attended by a huge number of groups, <clears throat> including George Elite Hospital, where people attended. And we talked about what chaplaincy services services is. I mean, I have got a view of how chaplaincy. Uh, can benefit other people and how I've used about it and I have and I have done it during my during my times as a as a as an ICU consultant so I can talk about it when the time comes. Jag's been quite quiet I just wondered if Jag had a comment to make. The one thing I find working on the ward uh, on Mary Ward is a respiratory ward so we have patients from all different faiths 
coming onto the board and on sort of being the respiratory ward, we have a lot of people that are quite poorly coming towards the end of their life. And whenever safe, I, I find we had um, somebody from the Hindi face or Buddhist face or whatever coming up and they were becoming quite poorly. So if, and I know like whenever people get really poorly, even if they haven't been practicing for a number of years within their life, just because life is so busy, work, family, etc., etc. When people get poorly, and especially when they're becoming getting towards the end of their life, faith becomes very important to them. And I find that I can always, there's always somewhere I can go to. I can go to Sue, I can go to uh, Ricardo, I can go to Dip. And we can always find somebody who can um, give us a viewpoint of what that patient, what their family can do and how they can connect, connect to God and just, you know, have some, have some peace. That's really, really helpful, uh, Jag. But I also want to go back to the point that, that a point that Dip made about people may not realise it's a service for them or may not realise they need it. And that may be, we've talked before about partly in the name and thinking it's a service for a certain type of people and I'm not one of those people. But the flip side of that, and to pick up on what Sue was saying, people may in communities may also not realise it's a service they could offer. And I think within the Sikh faith, obviously, service is written into that faith in terms of helping others on their path. And um, I know getting back to my original idea about how we can attract more people into volunteering, into paid posts as well, because I also believe until we have more diversity in paid posts, things are not going to happen. But to attract people to volunteering, say, in the Hindu faith, Dip, how could we attract more people to realise what they could offer to people in hospital of all beliefs, not just their own, but what they might offer in terms of chaplaincy? There was something called withdrawal of treatment. When people are, there is nothing more we can offer. We can offer them peace and comfort. And the families, or sometimes the patients, uh, all, all would sit down together and, and, and say, this is, this is the best way, best way for, the, for the, your loved ones. I developed a checklist to do the withdrawal of treatment form. And we would sit down and we'd go through every single point. In that checklist, I put in requirement of spiritual services. So I would tell the families, I have no idea what their faith is and, and whether they are into the faith or they feel offended. But I would tell it in, in, the, in this way. I say, I, I apologize, but I'll have to say this because it's a part of our duty. Do you think you would require a spiritual counseling? And once we say that, it is just like an offer. You, are, you, you have ordered your main meal. You don't know there's a side available. <laughs> Isn't it? There's a side, you've forgotten it. It's there. Do you want it? Suddenly, yes. I have very rarely seen people not saying yes to it. Now, and it, and it goes across the faith. Once you have asked that question, you can be of whatever faith. And then we say, what is your faith? And do you want a specific faith person to come over and help you out? Or do you want a general job? Some of them will say, yeah, just I want somebody to come and hold my hands or talk to my family. So this is it. 
I think in the NHS, we, we talk about physical health. Now think about it. 20 years ago, how many people thought about mental health? Hmm. Nobody thought about mental health. It was all about physical well-being. Get, get this person right. What is going to the head? People did not understand. Now we're talking about mental health, mental health. But we also forget that we are not only physical beings, emotional beings, intellectual beings, but we are all spiritual beings also. And that part people have forgotten. Once we look at that part, include it in our common theme of caring, suddenly it will become very important that we are spirituals, no matter what faith or you don't have a faith. You can be humanist, but you're still a spiritual person. That spiritual part has to be addressed during our care. And without that care, there is good scientific evidence to suggest that you address somebody's spiritual, spiritual level, the, they, 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 they can improve themselves. And it's a part of your faith. And, and, the, and when the faith goes, your spirituality goes, your mind settle, goes down. And the, and the intellectual level, your, your, your physical level, your mental health level can all be enhanced by the spiritual care. Sorry, Dad, I, I agree totally with that. I don't think everybody is equipped to have that conversation, though. I don't think everybody has been down that path for themselves or, as you say, in, in, in wider understanding of how other people walk that path to have that conversation. And I'm interested to know how we can get more people into hospitals to have those conversations from diverse backgrounds. So more Hindu volunteers, how do we find them? How do we encourage them to come? More Sikh volunteers, more Buddhist volunteers. And it's this thing about recognising, I think it might be partly the name, that they think chaplaincy is something that's a it's Christian thing, maybe, <laughs> and therefore they don't fit. So I'm interested to know how we inspire people. I mean, I think we need to go to the Gurdwaras. I think we need to go to the temples. We need to explain what it's about and uh, entice people in because the people who can do this job are not necessarily the priests, the rabbis, or the, the uh, faith leaders. They might well be the women within those different belief groups who have experience of bringing up children of bereavement and so forth, who would be the appropriate people. And we've got some lovely um, Sikh lady volunteers at Bradford um, who do a wonderful job. Um, at the moment, we haven't got any Hindu volunteers and we're really trying to, to get that moving and find our way in. Uh, it's proving quite a challenge. Yeah, I was just thinking, I think, I think part of what happens in me, Joe, is that when I start thinking we need more Hindus, we need more Sikhs, we need more humanists, we need more um, of these specific religions, I think I'm limiting what it is that I'm looking for mm. So, as a lead chaplain. So I think that we're looking for the people who are able to have those conversations yeah. that can enable somebody to access whatever it is, we all know that, that may be their, their truth for that particular time so it's almost like and I think we've got some fabulous fabulous Christian volunteers um they're not fabulous because they're Christian um they're Christian because that's how we found them um they're fabulous because they're able to have those those deep conversations so I think that in some ways what we what we're beginning to model in the faith group which we do which we model in there differently 
than how we do in other places because we tend to be in places where we are all the same is that we are modeling those those conversations at least between a small group of people within the hospital not all mm. of whom are chaplains but they are the people I think who we who we need and the fact that we can have those conversations with that small number of people tells me that there's a huge number of people who have the capacity to um to engage and not just it's not just about your own engagement is it but enabling someone else to engage with what they with what they need to um but in a way I can see why you come back to that well we need to get into the good wires and the temples to to find those people and I think we do but I also think we just need people um and I yeah so I don't I don't have an answer I wish I did have an answer because I know we've not been I know we've been really limiting what we can do I think uh, our chaplaincy services is a probably a beacon and I I mean I'm so proud proud to be a part of it when I was in George Eliot hospital I started the work over there we started having painting ex exhibitions we started having music and uh, and when I came to uh, came to Warwick, I did the, exactly the same thing. Uh, we started we started having exhibitions of of, of local painters and uh, and started having music. What I wanted was the the people should enter the word the place called the chapel. Now the, there is a problem with that word chapel in the people's minds, but people forget that chapel is not a Christian term; it is a generic term of a place of worship, but it is somehow associated with Christianity. So people find that, am I being obstructive? Am I allowed to get in? So this is the kind of fear I think I think people have. Oh, can I, can I? So I, I would stand outside sometimes the chapel. I mean, uh, and um, there's somebody peering into it. I say, go in, go in. This nice place, go in there. And I will push people inside. And there's a, this this last week there was a lady playing uh, playing a cello, was it or, or two weeks ago? And somebody yeah. somebody was outside. I said, why did you go inside? Just mm. sit down and listen to it. Yeah. Chapel is being used by Christian faith, of course, and part of the Islamic faith because they use it only for the Friday service. <clears throat> but they use it as a space rather than. I'm not sure. I'm, I should not. I should not. I should not go too much into it because what people people feel but at least they are comfortable getting into it and the Sikhs ladies um, service they will come and come and sit down there as a, as a place just to sit down but in order for people to be coming in we need to somehow encourage all the chaplaincy areas to be having some kind of a multi-faith symbolism outside symbols is 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 what we need and we have talked about it we have had a we have had a big meeting about multi-faith as to how we can use the chapel space and even outside to say this is a safe place for people to get in and once people are safe to get in the mind opens up and people would come to come to talk about it i think huge proportion of the of of the nhs staff are are asian people we know that nhs depends on lots of asian and their doctors their nurses and they're all of diverse faith. Most of them are possibly Hindus and other and, and Islamic faith. So once these guys also come in, they'll draw in, draw in the other people. And I think we should have more festival kind of festive areas. I mean, we started writing about it. I mean, I started writing and we are putting in our e-pulse, isn't it? We are putting whatever we are writing. So I think we should try to use the chapel space as a diverse area. So on 
on on holy Diwali and all kind of things, or on on an Islamic faith day, or in Guru Nanak Parab, we have something interesting happening there. That would attract more people. Mm -hmm. People will feel safe, and then I think small steps. Thank you for that, uh, Deeb. I, I think I would still like to push you all a little further, though. Um, Ricardo pointed to it by saying how we need people who can have these conversations. Uh, and it feels we nonetheless have framed this around religion and formalized belief systems. And people have to belong to or identify with something to get in. So are we just excluding those who are not affiliated with anything? And if we do require affiliation or recruit through affiliation, is that any guarantee of what we're getting? And speaking as a Christian, there's just huge divisions, polarities even within Christianity, the role of women, sexuality, life after death, uh, the inerrancy of the Bible, we disagree about all kinds of everything, it feels. And I, I would just suggest that the same is true within humanism, Islam, Sikhism, Hinduism, Buddhism. I mean, back in my, in the, my college days in the 70s, there wasn't just a communist society. In fact, there wasn't one. You had to choose between being a Trotskyist, a Stalinist, a Leninist, a Maoist, or a Marxist, and all the rest. It just seems to be part of human nature that as soon as we create one group based on belief, religion, or whatever, we immediately create a splinter group, at least one. And there's probably a law to that effect. So how do we recruit people? Where do we look or advertise for people who are capable of having these conversations, who are capable of coming alongside someone just as one open-hearted human being alongside another? Stig, you remind me of um, a Muslim colleague that both Stig and I have worked with in the past. He sadly um, died a few years ago. Um, but Abbas was a um, an imam who just looked like everything. He looked like a Muslim, didn't he? He dressed like a Muslim. He spoke like a Muslim. was very clear when he walked into your space who he was. But the way he would introduce himself would be to say, and I have this pinned above my above my desk at home. Um, my name is Abbas, and I am a human being. Um, and there was something about that and the way that he communicated that that taught me, because um, he was the first. In all honesty, he was the first Muslim person I had worked with, and shared and shared a, a, a shared a profession with. Um, and he taught me so much about it's not about um it's almost like it's not about what you profess it's about how you enable other people to understand who they are and so what i learned from working with him was that by by learning about who he was i could learn about who i was um so i would come away from any conversation with him feeling uh, both affirmed but also stretched in what i believed um, and almost by kind of stepping into each other's holy spaces we we recognized what our own holy space was um, and and I guess that's it's that kind of thing that um, that we need to be doing um, as as chaplains and to be those people who can somehow just be human 
to human because otherwise there's no there's no point in the conversation oh I think that's a lovely way to finish actually because we're sort of a, a half an hour but yes. I, I echo I mean Abbas comes up almost every podcast that we do he was obviously a very um impressive and powerful man but also how wonderful that he resonates still in the world you know and that's as it from as a humanist point of view we believe that people live on in the memories of others and Abbas is definitely someone definitely who lives not on dead. yeah because uh, he <laughs> yeah. turns up very often in our podcasts um and I work with um Mohammed Arshad in Bradford who's a similar imam with great curiosity broad-mindedness open-mindedness and vision and it inspires it has made me grow no end and I for me working in a diverse team is about my growth more than anything else uh, from a selfish point of view mm. it's about my growth and when we are growing we are doing a better job we we may need to return to this conversation I think because we've only just scratched the surface um, in half an hour so um Thank you so much for your contributions. And I'm sure what the feedback we get from people is that these podcasts prompt people to think of things they haven't thought of before. And I think there were lots of nuggets within there that would be very useful to people. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you, all of the, all of you. Thank you. That was a brilliant. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye now.